Only esteems the things that are related to God, such as the Bible and the church. Fewer and fewer people understand what it means to revere God and to know what it means to be in awe of God. We use the word awesome so frequently to refer to carnal and non-spiritual things. We find it easy to say these days that a Big Mac is awesome. Or a certain type of luxury car is awesome. Do we know what it truly feels like to be in awe of something or someone that is greater than we are? When was the last time we felt that sense of awe that left our mouths hanging open? When was the last time we beheld something so great and so breathtaking and so spectacular that the only thing that we could say was awe? The psalmist says... There is a way that we can learn to experience this awe kind of feeling. There is a way that we can tap into that, that attribute of awesomeness, the feeling of amazement. The psalmist says in Psalms 29, that we should first ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We should first ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. We're living in a world today where people are now professional glory seekers. We're living during a time where everybody wants to have a show of strength. Nobody wants to be viewed as weak and powerless. But the psalmist says, the way that we develop that all kind of filling in the presence of God is that we must first ascribe to Him glory and strength. Many are willing to prescribe to the Lord. Some are willing to describe for the Lord, but few are willing to ascribe to the Lord. We are often willing to write God a prescription and to have him to fill our order. And sometimes we give God a description of our problems and our concerns. But we become less active and less concerned when it comes to the practice of ascription, of ascribing to God. The word ascribe means to credit or to assign 
as to a cause or source. It also means to attribute or think of as belonging as a quality or a characteristic. We are encouraged by the psalmist to think upon God as having glory and strength. He tells us this because he understands that how we think about God and what we think about God will determine how we see God and will also determine what we feel about God. How do we feel about God? Our feelings are dictated by our thoughts. And if we spend the majority of our time thinking about things other than God, then we allow our feelings to become attached to the things of this world and not attached to the God who controls this world. Paul says in Colossians 3.1 that we ought to set our feelings, to set our affections on those things that are above. In order to set our feelings and our affections on those things that are above, then we must invest time and energy in thinking about those things that are above. For so often, we allow the television to give us our vision. Help me, somebody. <laughs> Sometimes we allow the commercials to take our thoughts captive. And the commercials are designed to encourage us to be consumers. The commercials are not designed to encourage us to think about God or to think about the things that are higher than this earth. For when we are filled and instilled by the messages of consumerism, then we begin to allow our feelings and our emotions to become attached to the stuff of this world. And Jesus constantly reminds us that the stuff of this world, no matter how new it is today, is nothing more than potential junk for some junkyard somewhere. If you bought a brand new car yesterday and you drove it off the lot, help me somebody, it is headed to the junk pile. No matter how shiny and bright it looks now, whatever human beings make, it is not made to last forever. And so often we allow our feelings and our affections to be set on the things of this earth. So when we come into the house of God, we have allowed our feelings to be taken into captivity. And when we come into the assembly, we're not able to feel any awe in the presence of God as we worship. Some of us find worship to be boring. Can I get an amen? Some of us find more excitement at the Spurs game. Ooh, I'm stepping on some toes now. 
People that you would see at church that will sit as a statue and won't even say half of an amen. But when the spurs score, my goodness, they jump and shout and almost say hallelujah. <laughs> That's our first confession tonight. We're going to take more before we leave. <laughs> But if that same kind of enthusiasm, that same level of energy is displayed at a sports event, why is it that we cannot display that same kind of enthusiasm and energy when it comes to worshiping and praising God? The church house is not a funeral home. We do not worship a dead God. We do not worship a dead Jesus. He died that Friday, but he got up that Sunday morning declaring all power in heaven and on earth is in my hands. We serve a living Lord because we serve a risen Lord. And because of that, we can get excited. There's nothing wrong with you saying amen a little bit. Um, because God gave you a mind and he gave you emotions. And we must worship him with our whole being. But the psalmist says in verse 2 of Psalm 29, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Worship the Lord. In the splendor of His holiness. We can only worship God in the splendor of His holiness when we have first done up front our mental work of ascribing to Him the attribute or the characteristic of holiness. Can I say that again? We can only worship God in the splendor of His holiness when we have first done our mental work of ascribing to Him the attribute or the characteristic of holiness. We often celebrate the goodness of God but sometimes we fail to celebrate the holiness of God. We hear the cliche in many of our church services, God is good, and all the time, God is good. Have I got a witness? How often do we hear the phrase that God is holy, and all the time, God is holy? We attribute to him the characteristic of being good because we want him to be good to who? Yes. But when we attribute to him the characteristic of holiness, then he requires of us to be holy as he is holy. If I don't spend time 
investing thoughts about God's holiness, then I will soon discover that that same attribute that I fail to attribute to God ends up missing in my own life. For we become what we think about. Have I got a witness? Whatever we think about expands. If we think about things that make us angry, then anger will expand. But if we think about the holiness of God, the next time we get stuck and rush our traffic in San Antonio, Texas, if we have spent a good portion of our time thinking about contemplating upon, meditating upon the attribute of God's holiness, then it may temper what we might want to say when somebody cuts us off and slam on their brakes without warning. Can I get an amen? <laughs> what happens is when we think about the qualities and the characteristics and the attributes of God, we find ourselves being impressed and impacted by those qualities and those attributes. For that is how we grow and become more and more the sons and daughters of God. But this is how our minds are renewed and transformed. And they no longer take on the form and shape of a fallen world. But our minds are renewed by the way that we change what we think about. If we think about God when we get up in the morning, we think about God at lunch. We think about God when we're standing in the line in the grocery store. We think about God when we're driving. We think about God when we're by ourselves. We think about God when we are in the midst of the crowd at the mall. We are saturating our minds with thoughts about God. And when we saturate the mind with thoughts about God, those thoughts have a way of having a direct impact on our feelings, on our emotions. So when we show up in here on Sunday morning, we're not waiting for somebody to fire us up or to get us excited because the Holy Spirit has been working on us all through the week. And if nobody else gets happy, I'm already happy. If nobody else gets fired up, I'm already fired up because the Spirit of God has been working on my mind from Monday to Saturday. So when I get here Sunday morning, I'm not asking what can I get out of the worship. I'm asking what can I contribute to the worship. Now, let me find where I was. <laughs> we often celebrate the goodness of God without celebrating the greatness of God, of the holiness of God. Let me just say this, the ego envies the greatness of God, and everybody got an ego. Now, some of us might have learned how to conceal it or hide it, but we all got one. Anybody want to confess with me? We all have an ego, and the ego forces an individual to be 
impressed with only him or herself. The ego forces a person not to be impressed with anybody or anything beyond the ego itself. The ego makes a person ascribe to himself or herself the attributes of glory, power, and greatness. The ego makes a person more dedicated to bringing glory to his or her own name than to bringing glory and honor to the name of God. Someone has said that ego is an acronym that stands for easing God out. And I just want to say that scientific secularism seems to be doing an effective job in easing God out of the public consciousness of our society today. This scientific secularization is also impacting the church to where there are those who feel as if God should be thankful when we show up here on a Sunday morning. There are those who are driven by the ego and feel as if they're doing God a favor by coming to worship or by living the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me just register this as loud as I can. God is doing us a favor by allowing us to be recipients of the teachings of Jesus Christ. God is doing us a favor by allowing us an opportunity to worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't allow the ego to convince you that there is no one greater than you. Do not develop the Muhammad Ali syndrome that says, I am the greatest. No matter how much power, no matter how much money, no matter how much influence we may get, God is still the greatest. God still sits on the throne and he rules and he super rules. No matter how much the ego tells us that we are the best, we are the greatest, we are the most powerful. No, God is the greatest. God is most powerful. And we must make sure that as we listen to the Holy Spirit teach us, that we learn to honor nothing and no one above the greatness and the power of God Almighty. When we honor God, and when we attribute to him strength and glory, God has a way of giving us a kickback. God strengthens us in our understanding of who he is in relationship to the world. God gives us the strength to endure the persecutions that we may experience in this world. God gives us the strength and the power to continue on even when our circumstances look negative. If we attribute to him glory and strength, God will also instill in us strength. And he will give us a praise that does not come from a human being's mouth. 
He will give us the praise that he gave his son Jesus at Jesus' baptism at the River Jordan. You remember that Jesus was baptized, but before he was baptized, the heavens opened and a dove descended upon him. It was the Holy Spirit. And then there was a voice that spoke from the heavens. And that voice said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear you him. This is my beloved Son. Thank God for the voice that spoke from heaven and praised Jesus as the Son of God. And if you have become a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand something tonight. That sonship was not reserved for Jesus only. Have I got a witness? Jesus came to open up the sonship and the daughtership to all of those who would believe in him and would follow him. As to as many as believed on him, he gave them the power to become what? The sons and the daughters of God. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the voice that spoke about Jesus, that same voice is speaking about you today. And if you have not heard the voice of the Father declaring that you are his child, I don't know how you're going to be able to make it. In a messed up world, Jesus knew that he needed the affirmation of his father. He needed to hear his father's voice before he went back into Galilee, into his hometown of Nazareth. Because it was in his hometown, Nazareth, that the hometown crowd wanted him to perform miracles and to do special favors for the hometown crowd. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to use my Holy Ghost power just to advance the cause of an earthly city. My business is to be about my father's business. But when he said that, his own kinfolk and people that watched him grow up, that knew his mother and father, got furious at Jesus. And the same people that praised him, they cried out. To kill him and try to throw him off a steep place. That's why you got to be careful how you put confidence in the praise of human beings. Because the praise of people is just like West Texas weather. It's sunshiny today and it may be snowing tomorrow. Have I got a witness? But there is one kind of praise that you can put your confidence in. And that is the praise that comes with the voice of the Lord who says, you are my beloved child. You are my daughter. You are my son. And I love you. That's the voice I want to hear. And there are many voices in this world that's calling us everything but a child of God. But we need to hear the active voice of God. That voice that can break into pieces the cedars of Lebanon. That voice that can cover the waters of the sea. That voice that can speak to the darkness and say, let there be light. 
that voice that spoke about Christ is still speaking today. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the love that that voice communicates to my soul, I get plumb happy. And if I was somewhere else, I may get to shouting, but I got to control myself in here tonight. <laughs> but remember that the voice is still speaking. The voice of God, as he describes it here, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks. I'm here to tell you, that the voice of the Lord is still active and it is still operative tonight. But many of us can't hear that voice because we are kept running on the treadmill, trying to keep up, help me somebody, in a system of economic slavery. We're buying stuff that we can't afford to impress people that we don't even like. Some of us got three and four jobs. The wife got two jobs. The husband got two jobs. And they see each other passing at the pit stop. And we don't have time to be still and know that God is God. We don't have time to be still and to be impressed Simply by being in the presence of the divine being that we call God. If we don't have time to be still in his presence, we will never be able to experience that feeling of awe. Because when we experience his being as being great and powerful, then God teaches us how to recognize his greatness and his power when we look at all of creation. You cannot drive by the Grand Canyon without feeling a sense of awe that somehow God must have stepped down his foot and left his footprint here in Arizona. Help me somebody. You cannot stand and see the waters rolling over Niagara Falls without feeling deep down in your soul that there is a God who is still alive. You cannot behold the beautiful gentle eyes of a newborn baby and not recognize that that soul has a close intimacy with the creator of all that is. You cannot look into the eye of somebody who's getting ready to pass over Jordan's river from this light into the next light and see that still calm coming over their demeanor without you knowing that they're going back to a sacred place from whence they came. And in all of creation, God is speaking to us a, a, a voice that is so loud that the only reason why we can't hear it is that we cover our ears and we cover our eyes. 
God is all around us. And he's wanting us to feel that sense of awe and to know the profundity of his greatness. And let me just say this in my first conclusion. Because <laughs> I don't have a watch. My watch stopped, so I stopped wearing it. But what I want you to get tonight is for you and for me to leave here with the conviction that we are connected to, we are rooted and grounded in the most powerful, glorious being in all of existence. It is in God that we live and we move and we have a very being. God to us is the same kind of environment to us that water is to a fish. You are in him through your inner spirit. The Holy Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. And in God, there is no death. In God, there is no sickness. In God, there is pure light. In God, there is hope. And in God, there is love. And if you can remain rooted and grounded in his divine being, there is nothing in all of existence that can shake your confidence in his existence. And his existence will give you the power to be sustained. At the closing of this text, he says he gives his people peace. He gives his people peace. And there is no terrorist on the planet Earth that can shake a child of God who has complete confidence in the love of the Creator and is rooted and grounded in the peace that only God can supply. And that's why we call Jesus the Prince of Peace and he's leading all of us into the way of peace so that even with our enemies, we express to them the same love that God is expressing in us and through us. So whatever happens to you cannot happen in you. I want to say that again. Whatever happens to you cannot happen in you. Because you have an internal fortification called the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Holy Spirit. That strengthens you from the inside out. And because you have that presence abiding in you, you have the capacity to sit in your situation. Without allowing your situation... To sit inside of you. Because you have the presence of the living God residing in you. If somebody were to ask you for God's address, you need to give them your first and last name. 